Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. Today we have a voicemail from Danielle the Book Queen, who is looking for contemporary romances that are set in Ireland. Her voicemail message is a little bit quiet. I've tried to bump the audio up a little bit, but we talk about what she says when we start trying to make recommendations, emphasis on trying. We also talk a little bit about what might be the next big thing in romance. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater, and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is, but I'm betting that you can identify who this is because, well, it's Peat Bog. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Joe Davis's unique new can't-miss romance series beginning with Raw, which will be available on the 15th of October. And now, on with the podcast. Hi, Sarah and Jane. This is Danielle, more commonly known as the Book Queen, calling from Utah. Needless to say, I love the podcast and the website. Please don't stop. I need some recommendations, though. I'd like to read a contemporary romance set in Ireland. Now, when I've asked this question to other readers, they can only think of Nora Roberts. I've read all of her books, love them, and one of my all-time favorite series is her Born in Trilogy set in Ireland. But outside of Miss Roberts, do either of you know of any really good contemporaries set in this country? I've tried looking, but I've yet to find any. Is it just not the type of book that publishers are looking for, or are there just no authors writing Ireland romance anymore? I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you. Enjoy. TBQ. So let's start with um, Danielle, the book queen's request. She loves contemporary romances that are set in Ireland. And whenever she asks for recommendations, people say, have you read Nora Roberts? To which she says, Yeah like twice so do you know of any contemporary romances set in ireland does no mave binchy oh mave binchy might count yeah but none of her books end happy so no. <laughs> all fairly melancholy they're melancholy and they're not quite romance either no most of what i know that's set in ireland is historical. Yeah. I don't um, know of that many that are set in Ireland that are contemporary. I, I remember one, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was a contemporary, but it was more women's fiction. And do you remember when all of the contemporary covers had a picture of the front of somebody's chest with their hands cupping something and holding it to you. This was pre-Twilight. So sometimes it was a cupcake and sometimes it was a flower. and Or maybe this was post-Twilight. But this one had a woman in a white bathrobe holding a big handful of clover to the reader. And I remember it very clearly, but I can't remember what it was called. I need a search engine that lets me search by cover image. That would be really helpful. You can. You can use... Um, uh, oh, you mean type in the keywords? If I describe the cover, I want the search engine to go, oh, it's this book. Duh. That would help me in a lot of the time identifying books. Because otherwise, it's, you know, the, the, the Sherry Thomas that's yellow. Not that yellow. The other yellow. Like, yeah, this... I am the, I am even, the patron So the even if there was game. a search engine, Sarah, that had that feature, it would not work for you. No, it probably would not. But this one, I'm really specific. So I should po tell poor Danielle. She's wearing a bathrobe and holding some clover that that will be easy to find in the bookstore. Let me see if uh, I can Google it. Um, Jeanette Baker wrote, I think, two or three books set in Ireland um, for Mira. 
back in the, let's see, two, early 2000s, um, Blood, Roses, Kate Nolan has taken it one day at a time for the past six years, believing she can make a difference in the politics of Northern Ireland, believing her children will live to see peace in their country. So anyway, that's uh, obviously Ireland. Uh, Irish Fire Spellbone, 2000, 2001, 2002. Hmm. Oh, and there's also... Um the person I always confuse with Maeve Binchy, which is Marion Keyes, who is not the same person. There's a couple of her books that were set in Ireland. And, okay, it's actually making me insane that I can't find this book cover. I hope somebody, when we, when we put this up, I hope somebody says, oh, duh, it's this one. I can see the picture so clearly in my brain. And can I figure out which one it is? No. Over on Heroes and Heartbreakers, Laurel McKee, two years ago recommended a number of Irish books, but they're all historicals. Yeah, there's a lot of Irish historical, but there's not a whole lot of contemporary. So Jeanette Baker, um, Cheryl Rivas apparently um, wrote one under the name um, Cinda Richards called Dylan's Promise. Hmm. That's actually 99 cents on uh, Amazon. Oh, that's nice. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wasn't um, this is paranormal, but isn't the Karen Marie Moaning uh, Barons series set in Ireland? I have no idea. Oh, actually, the Dylan uh, Dylan's Promise is set in Scotland, so scratch that. Um, you mean I they're not the same thing? Like many people in Scotland just went. <laughs> here, there, here's this, here's the Mammoth Book of Irish Romance. Oh, that'll do it. <laughs> if it's Mammoth, that should hold her. Um, these are like 5,000 word stories. I was um, never a big fan of the mammoth books of things. No, and the editor, Trish Tellup, Trisha Tellup, she's the editor that um, was doing something and then didn't want a gay story in her collection. Yeah, yeah, she, she um, told, I think she told an author to change, uh, change characters so they wouldn't be gay. Right. Or something like that. And if I recall correctly, did not give the most awesome of apologies when pointed out that that was sort of douchey. <laughs> um, so we have Tears of the Moon. There's the Iris Trilogy, obviously. Obviously, yep. Obviously. And, and Nora Roberts' new one that's coming out this fall is a trilogy. And I think that's also set in Ireland. But it's also a paranora, so I'm, it's not my favorite thing. Paranora? Yeah, the paranoras. You know, there's the contemporary noras and the romantic suspense noras and the paranoras. The paranoras are the ones where there's, like, witches and vampires and lots of witches and wiccans and wickening, wickening things. Oh, here's one. I totally forgot I had read. Um, Straight Up by Deidre Martin. Oh, yeah, that's right. That is set uh, in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Liam O'Brien goes back to his family's um, tiny little. village in Ballycraig, Ireland. Yeah, that wins. Um, and then I think there's a follow-up to that where the heroine, um, they start out in Ireland and then they go back to New York City. Of the two, I like straight up better. Do you still read Deidre Martin? Um, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I that's a very, very um, speaking tone of voice right there. I mean, I do, but um, nothing's really ever recaptured kind of the magic of her first book for me. And I know that she's going back to writing 
the hockey books. Actually, when she she left the hockey books to go to kind of a bar scene, and I didn't like those books. And then from the bar scene, she did two books in Ireland, um, and I really only liked one of them. And I think she's back now to writing hockey books, but I'm just kind of ambivalent about it. Mm-hmm. And I think I read her last one, and I was really... I can't even remember what it was about. Um, so that tells you how much I'm engaged by her. Was the first one that she wrote the one with the hockey player and the soap opera star? No. Uh, yeah. No. Yes. No. 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 Yes. No. 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 Also, yes. The soap, <laughs> the soap opera star and the hockey player was like her fourth book. The uh, first book was the hockey player who turns into the coach eventually of the Blades. Is that a spoiler? Um, uh, oh, well, too late now. Yeah. <laughs> and the PR woman. Oh, because I loved the, so- the the soap opera and the hockey player. I'm going to have to look up the titles of these books because I'm, really, <laughs> I'm really not doing well here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe I think I just found the book with the covers. With that I'm looking for. No, there is a book called There You'll Find Me by Jenny B. Jones. And not to be confused with Junie B. Jones. Yeah, different from Junie B. Jones. Jenny B. Jones. This is a, this is young adult Christian contemporary. I think there might be more YA that's increasingly set in um, in Ireland. I've noticed some like that book I just found, I've noticed some studying abroad YA is becoming a, a bit of a thing. I've noticed three or four titles in a row coming out about a character who studies abroad, which totally is up my alley and all of my catnip because I studied abroad twice, once in high school and once in college. Okay, seriously, it's going to drive me crazy that I can't remember this book. Oh, well. That I found on Amazon a list of sexy Irish romance books. Really? Yeah, so we have Stone Cold Kiss, Irish Stories by L.K. Below. I mean, obviously, I'm not (laughs) endorsing any of these books. Nice that somebody made a list. Irish Kiss by Kissing Cops by Krista Page. Um, That has uh, one review and two stars. (laughs) So I I don't think that that's a book that I would go for. There's Sweet Irish Kiss, the One Night Stand series by Joanne Kenrick. I'm going to email you this link and you can include I'll it in our it. podcast that so you works. just don't have to. Um, we're not endorsing any of these books. We are just providing information that readers can use at a later time. That was a very nice, nicely done disclaimer. Well done. I'm very impressed. It's going to make me insane that I can't find this book with the with the bathrobe and the handful of clover. And it, this book is this was on my bedstand probably in two thousand five or two thousand six because I got an ARC with the cover on it. And this was back when I was completely horrified by the idea of recycling an ARC. So I kept them all, all of them, like many of them, in my basement in many boxes. And I had this book for over a year, even though I had tried to read it and I didn't like it because I couldn't throw it away, even though it was on an ARC. I couldn't bring myself to do it. So it was part Why of the ARC. 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 Why? Why don't you just say ARC? I don't know. I've never said ARC. I always say ARC. I have no idea. That's two extra syllables. I know, but I don't have the requirement of brevity that you do. <laughs> I, I take all of your extra words and then add more words. This is why I'm a good person to host a podcast with, because if it was just you, it would be like, all right, that's 10 seconds. I'm done now. Bye. 
Speaking of, should I even be talking on this podcast? Did you read that book? (laughs) Oh, gosh, the book that you're bullying me over? No, I had to finish another one. I'm actually reading it right now. I started it. I I picked it back up last night. I got to the part where um, he's about to be moved back to the house. So I am reading it right now. Come on, it's only been a week. Dude. That book should have been read by now. I'm sorry. I had other obligations. How did you how did you like uh, the Rosie Project? I saw you were reading it. Did you finish it? I have not finished it. Oh, so you're gonna give me shit, but it's okay that you didn't finish a book? I'm probably this? farther along than you are. What is this crap? Plus you had an arc uh, of it and I didn't have an arc of the Rosie Project. No, maybe I, if I didn't maybe if I had been given the Rosie Project like three months ago, um, you would have read it. Done by now. So the one that I have of Stir Me Up is an arc? If it's the copy that I sent you, yes. Yeah, okay, then yes, I do have an arc. I was not approved for an arc of the Rosie Project until I was back from Australia and the book was coming out in two weeks. And I had applied for the arc in July and they didn't approve it until mid-August. And I was like, okay, well, A, I already have a copy and B, that's way too late for me. I'm sorry. Because I, I can't get something read in two weeks if I, if I keep to my schedule because I have to have my schedule. Oh, Maureen Johnson's The Last Little Blue Envelope is in Ireland. That takes place in Ireland, too. Shall we move on to another uh, topic? I think we've exhausted the Irish. Yeah, I don't. I wish I had more recommendations. I don't have all that many. And I'm, it's going to make me insane that I can't remember this book. But I don't, I don't read that many books set in Ireland. So one of the one of the comments that I had recently when I posted on Facebook, what should we talk about, was where you think romance is going in the next year or two. Quote, we had such major breakouts in the past with Fifty Shades, The Rise of the Hunger Games, City of Bones, The End of Twilight. Now there's new adult and fan fiction that's been pulled to publish. What's next and what can we expect to see hitting the market next year? Or what changes do you see happening in the romance market as a whole? And this question is, this is from Ashley Fideli or Fidel. Now you had an idea of what you thought was coming next. Yeah, I think that darker books, particularly those involving a criminal element um, and in the protagonists are going to be popular. I think it's um, a couple things stemming back to the, you know, Sopranos and the Sons of Anarchy, which has the bad guy as the good guy. Same thing with Breaking Bad. And so I think we're going to see more of that in fiction, in romance fiction. Kristen Ashley kind of um, started it for me with her motorcycle club. (laughs) She has a book called Night, which has a pimp as a hero. That's always romantic. (laughs) Um, And you see more of it. I think uh, the J.M. Darhauer self-published book, which I think was actually Twilight fan fiction, although I could be wrong, um, has a mobster, I believe, or some kind of mob element. Um, This book, Carter Reed, just came out by T. John, who was not a fan fiction author, as far as I know, but wrote on Wattpad for several years. And gained a huge following there. And her recent release, which uh, popped briefly into the top 10 of the Kindle list, uh, is about um, a hit hitman. So I think that, especially with Charlie, what, how do you pronounce his name? Hunman? Hunman? Whatever. The guy who plays Jax on um, 
Sons of Anarchy has been cast as the uh, guy for uh, Christian Grey. So I think there are a lot of people who hadn't watched Sons of Anarchy who are watching Sons of Anarchy now to kind of see who this guy is. And I've seen other references on message boards that seem to indicate that they're looking for the good bad guy, which Jax Teller is not a good bad guy since he cheats on his pregnant wife with hookers. But um, I think they're hoping to read about the uh, motorcycle club president who's trying to uh, into legitimacy and uh, not uh, screwing around with hookers on the side. I, I always find it very romantic, you know, when uh, when a guy cheats on his pregnant wife. I mean, that's just a very low level of douchebag. It's not hard to overcome that, you know, except that it is, and I hate it. <laughs> I, I'm sort of fascinated by your theory, and I agree with you. I think that the anti-hero is a, is a rising trend, although it's hard to write an anti-hero because it's very difficult to make them universally appealing. It's only going to appeal to a very specific section of readers because there's some things that would make an anti-hero somewhat anti-heroic that some readers would find completely unforgivable. What I think is interesting is that it, we were talking about this on email, but I sort of see it as the antithesis of the of the military war hero. Not in that the that it's anti-military and it is and this is somebody who's against the military. It's the polar opposite of that hero because if you have a military or soldier or war hero hero this is someone who is sort of bathed in the nobility of serving the country and has cr- probably witnessed or had to do some really unsavory, unpleasant and scary things in the process of defending their country. They get sort of they don't get a pass. They get this sort of blanket heroism by being a soldier. Now, this is not to say that all soldiers do this, but in a romance novel, that's it's sort of like a shortcut to nobility in a hero. The anti-hero does some dark and nasty shit and is not automatically restored to heroism by what they do. What they do is actually not heroic, and then they become heroic through some other action. And I disagreed with you. Yes, that's a total shock. That never happens. <laughs> Um, I actually think that they are cut from the very same cloth. And I don't think the appeal of the military hero uh, is his heroism. I think it's the idea of the protectorate. And uh, I think that the criminal um, um, element is makes the story more forbidden. But ultimately what is appealing is that this is a man with a lot of agency power and ability to protect you and provide for you. And I think that that's the core of what makes the billionaire successful and the military hero successful. And I don't think it has anything to do with the nobility of the military. Surprisingly enough, I disagree. (laughs) Are you shocked? I agree. They both have the, I I think they have the similar level of alpha. And I agree it's about being able to defend and take care of and protect the heroine. But they are, I think they're slightly different. The billionaire has power because of money. But I have a, I have a really hard time reading billionaire romances, mostly because these are the least busy billionaires. Like they have all of this money. They run all these companies. They have acres of free time. That is simply not the case. But we've talked about that before. The billionaire has wealth and power in part because of what they control and because of how, in part because of how much money they have. 
the military hero has power because of physical strength or uh, strategic strength or um, there's a word I'm trying to think of and I can't think of it. They have the, the power of being able to defend and protect either physically or through strategy. The anti-hero has power, but it's power from a, a nefarious source. It's different from the other two because the source of his power is easily considered negative. So I see that person as sort of the if, – if these were all plotted out on a circle, the military guy would be opposite of the anti-hero. They have that same alpha mold, but what's outside is different and where their power comes from is different. But we can always disagree. Yeah, I mean – the the power that they gain uh, these criminals is uh, is through force and um, cunning, and I guess I just don't see the difference. In fact, you would ar- you could argue that the criminal element is more physical than the billionaire. That's also true in Kristen Ashley's books because there are always uh, in the two that I've read. So I can't really say always. That makes me sound like a douche. In the ones that I have read, which is two. There is a scene in both books where the hero has to negotiate ownership of the heroine with like other guys. Like they have to have go meeting and and have a little discussion about how no she's mine and you can't have her and you have to stop showing up and you can, you know, no, I'm going to take her away in my Camaro and you can bite me. They have a sort of negotiation of ownership and protection. Like who's under whose protection is she? It's very futile. That is not something that I see in the other genres in the other types of alpha hero. I don't usually see that in a billionaire romance. There's no negotiation of ownership. It's, I'm trying to think of the right word here. It's a completely different sort of behavior that is not part of the other two alpha heroes makeup. I disagree. You need to read more Bill. You see, the problem is you haven't read these books. So am I wrong about the billionaires? The ones that I've read, I haven't seen a negotiation of ownership. I just sort of see, uh, uh, swooping in and managing her life for every every aspect or throwing all of his power and money behind whatever problem she's having. I haven't seen I haven't seen a character negotiate with other characters. Nah, hands off. She's mine. But you may be right that I'm reading the wrong books. Well, I'm not saying you're reading the wrong books, but I think there's definitely a a threat to me that action and how I've seen readers respond to that is that's a sign of their jealousy and possessiveness. So you see that played out in, for example, the Maya Banks's trilogy, Burn, Fever, I can't remember the other title. But these books contain um, not just negotiation between the males, but uh, uber-possessive acts. Uh, I read in one um, message board forum that... uh, you know, it's the act of pissing around a circle around the heroine. And they do that in various forms, um, whether it's, you know, threatening to ruin them or threatening to beat them up or um, what whatnot. And in, in for example, in um, I think it's Mystery Man, when the Gwen goes off with Tack. Yes. I mean... I, I don't see it as the men negotiating. She makes the choice. Right, but there's an earlier scene where Tack and what's Camaro dude's name? Hawk. Thank you. See, this is <laughs> Bird. Bird and Tack go off on the lawn with some other dude, and they have a whole discussion about who she belongs to. That's the scene I was thinking of. Not all, The one where she chooses is a completely different thing. No, I understand, but I, I, I've, I may have had a different reading of that 
than you did. But yes, uh, this is very true because I I could not. I am not a member of the I glommed Kristen Ashley Club. It's a it's a it's a lonely group, but I'm I'm in it. <laughs> it was not for me, unfortunately. Do you but feel I, me? You feel me, right? Right, you feel I me? feel you. Okay, good. I I just think that what the actions that you're describing. Uh, this negotiation sort of thing is just an act of pissing around her, marking her. Yes, pissing that, highest on the tree. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's, uh, that's common in all of these alpha male stories. To so make a great academic paper, tree pissing, how does it occur in various subgenres? The tree pissing of the historical, the tree pissing of the billionaire contemporary. You may be right about that now that I think about it. There is a lot of incarnations of tree pissing. <laughs> Okay, maybe I'll finally write an academic paper about tree pissing and romance. That would be a lot of fun. I'd have a lot of really good euphemisms like branch, log, his Yule log. I don't know if Yule logs in romance. So anything else that you think is coming up next in romance? I've heard, but I don't see it, that some people think there's going to be a rise in the paranormal urban fantasy. But I'm not I, seeing that. I'm not seeing it either. And I don't see a rise in historical. I do think that there are going to be more and more books that really try to push the envelope because the readers are fatigued and they um, want to read something new and exciting. And so they're gravitating toward books that are very shocking. So you're, you're trying to say dinosaur porn is the new thing. No, I don't know who started that. I figured Um, it out. And I actually felt really bad that I could not figure out the original source of the dinosaur porn because I'd seen it go by in my Twitter feed and sent a link to Redheaded Girl who then read it and reviewed it. But it turned out I think it was Geekology. The site Geekology was the first one to find it. So I got to link to them, which makes me feel happy because I always feel bad when you don't know who started something and then it takes off and you want to sort of say it was them who figured it out. Go look at them. But Yes, it was Geekology. They figured it out first, and then it became a thing. Well, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't pick up on my um, promotion of the cuttlefish porn. You know, you're right. There should have been more coverage of, of cuttlefish porn. There's definitely a cuttlefish porn market. Well, I'm just saying, dino porns just seems like so easy. The, the, <laughs> there, there's You're not stretching very far. Gang bang with the cuttlefish, I think that's... <clears throat> you know, a mile away from you. Yep. To say nothing of the fact that any kind of uh, erotica involving sea life without without vertebra is tricky. That's very difficult. Having no actual bone structure can make things very difficult. Or easier. Or easier, that's true, it, it, if you can hold a shape. I'm thinking that octopus porn would be brilliant. Well, uh, both Cranberry Tarts, um, Holly from the book bench, and I read Eight Arms to Hold You, and uh, we were both disappointed at the boredom that we experienced reading that book. And I kind of feel like, first, if you're going to name the book Eight Arms to Hold You... um, There should be eight arms. And you're going to have shape-shifting octopi... You know, I'm going to expect some tentacle loving, and there just was none. I'm so I'm sorry. Having written tentacle porn, um, I, I feel bad that there was not more for you. If you'd like, I'll write some more. It was a long time ago, but I would do that for you. I'm that kind of friend. I would write. Well, I mean, it has porn. to be a whole book with a real. I mean, this had a plot and everything. Not oh, that I had a, had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Woo! 
but you need more tentacle porn. I really don't. Um, you know, I am not a big Japanese anime and manga fan, but I understand tentacle porn is huge over there, as is every type of porn that you could possibly think of. Um, but uh, my first encounter with tentacle erotica would have been in um, Mary Gentry series by Linda K- Laurel K. Hamilton. Oh, I remember that. One of her characters, Sholto, is the... N- King of the Night. Yep, wing. he has tentacles in his abdomen. Right, and she's kind of turned on by it. And freaked out by it, too, if I remember. I was turned off by it and freaked out, but I was intrigued. I kind of wish she'd go back to that. I didn't know she'd abandoned that series altogether. I thought that there was another one scheduled somewhere into the future. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately she does owe a publisher a couple books there. Oh, but, well, no big deal. That happens. Yeah, I don't, I don't see her talking about ever finishing it. Bummer, dude. I am actually really not good, I think, at identifying what's the next big thing and, and, and what's going to happen next. I don't have any predictions for what's going to happen in terms of trend or what, what's the next big thing or... What what are people going to be buying? I have no idea. And I think if you have that information, you should sell it and make a lot of money. And that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. I have a little bit more audio wherein we debate more about what's going to happen in the future with romance, specifically with historicals. And if I can make sense of the editing, I will try to post that next week. Otherwise, future podcasts will contain us talking about romance novels. Because that's what we do here. Because, well, why not? If you have questions or you've got suggestions or you want to leave us a voicemail, you can contact us at 1-201-371-DBSA. Don't forget to leave your name and where you're calling from. Or you can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com if you would like to write down all the reasons why you disagree with us or, or Jane. You should probably disagree more with Jane because if I'm going to be doing the intro and the outro, I should take full advantage of that, right? Of course. The music this week was provided by Sassy Outwater. This is The Naughty Step by the Peat Bog Fairies, who I happen to really love now that I've discovered all of their music because of Sassy Outwater. And I have information on the, on the website and on Dear Author about where you can buy them and, well, not them, their music. You're not going to buy them. You're going to buy their music, all of their music, because it's awesome. And finally, you can read a sexy new romance with a twist. The heroine needs your help to decide who wins her heart, beginning with Raw by Joe Davis, our heroine's sizzling introduction to rugged FBI agent Grayson James. Don't miss the chance to pick a lover for heroine Anna in Joe Baker's new series, Torn Between Two Lovers. Download Raw now, or after the 15th of October, and meet boyfriend number one. Thank you again for listening. It's a really big treat to hear people come up to me and talk to me about how much they love the podcast. And... We really appreciate that you enjoy it and that you download it and that you send us email. So wherever you are, Jane and I wish you the very best of reading.